With ever increasing workload and decreasing numbers of staff, I don't need to tell the listeners of this podcast that working as a healthcare professional is tough right now. But are there things that you do in your job that could be done better if you had the right technology? Could something as simple as being able to text message patients save you hours of time and improve the experience for your patients? Today, we're joined by Jacob Haddad, who's the founder of AccuRx, as he tells us how spending time in a GP surgery led to him developing AccuRx. And this podcast will be useful for anyone who's interested in improving workflows and efficiency. But Jacob also has some great tips for those wanting to grow and scale a healthcare business. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So on today's podcast, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Jacob Haddad, who is the co-founder and CEO of AccuRx. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Tommy. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so good to have you on because I think a lot of GPs will know about AccuRx and maybe some hospital doctors as well. I mean, basically, I found out about AccuRx before the pandemic. I've never heard of AccuRx. And then the pandemic came and suddenly I needed to be able to do video calls. And inside my software, electronic patient record that we use, there was there, there was a video call button, but it never worked. I don't think it was even implemented as a feature. And so somebody said to me, oh, check out this AccuRx thing. It allows you to do video calls. And I was like, okay, cool. I went to your website and it was like, install here. And I was like, oh. Every time I tried to install something on an NHS computer, it's like, don't have permission, contact the admin. But I clicked the button and it started installing. And then within about 15 minutes, this little funny toolbar thing popped up. And I was just like, okay. And I was like, make a video call. I pressed the button. I think at that time you were doing it via the phone. And I was having video calls with my patients within 15 minutes. And I was blown away by that because, as I said, my experience of NHS IT to that point was basically slow, didn't really work often like fixing the printer, shaking the last bit of the toner out so you can print one more page and no one knows where this new toner is. And then to have a product that just worked, it was just like, okay, this is pretty good. And then as the sort of pandemic evolved, we needed to keep an eye on all of our patients who had COVID. And until that point, I'd never done an online consultation. I'd never done a video call. I expect a lot of other GPs will be like that as well. And also we could text our patients, but it was like batch text messaging. I couldn't just send out a text to an individual. And all of a sudden I could text my patients with COVID and be like, how are you? What's your SATs? And then the data came back to me and I could look at the data. It was automatic. So that was how I found out about IKRX. But, you know, Medics Money isn't a tech company, but we have tech that allows us to automate doctors finding accountants. And so I know that it must have been a long story before I found out about it, but that was sort of like how I found out about it. But how did you get to the point where you could just, well, how I could just install a toolbar in 15 minutes and be up and running? Because honestly, I was like blown away by that. Yes, it, it definitely has been a long journey there. We started in 2016, actually focused on a different problem. We were trying to improve how antibiotics were prescribed. And basically spent a year and a half working on that and just couldn't get traction, couldn't get people to use it, couldn't get CCGs to pay for it. But what we got out of it, there were a few sort of 
nuggets that got people very excited. So one was at the end of this, you know, antibiotic workup, you could send some advice to a patient by text. And there was this moment where clinicians like typed some extra notes into the advice and hit send. And then it went into the record and into their own phone because they always like tested it first with their own phone. That was like mind blowing that something could go into the record and to a phone at the same time. That was the first sort of nugget. And the second was actually that we had a GP using us who stopped using us. And when we dug into it more, it wasn't actually because the practice had stopped using us. It was because they'd started to shift these routine infections, you know, UTIs, sore throats, hepatitis media, to nurse practitioners, to pharmacists who could deal with these more confidently because they had some decision support. So we we're also trying to lean into that. So late 2017, we pivoted. We went and spent three months like living inside one GP practice, which was exhausting, but it was great fun. And we learned a huge amount doing a lot of very unscalable process improvement. So lots of it actually wasn't that much about the software. It was more about the, you know, process improvement, change management, how they understand their demand and how they plan their staff rotors based on that, how they understand when reception is busiest, how they collect data from patients, how they manage knowledge in the practice so that, you know, to talk to the skill mix piece, if you've got this great multidisciplinary team, you can only make the most of it if your reception team are really skilled in booking people to the right place. We took appointment weeks from two weeks to two days. This is all before COVID. Overnight, without adding capacity, just by changing how the appointment book was arranged. But most of what we built wasn't scalable. It wasn't something we could just roll out everywhere. But what we saw was that a lot of what was going on was communication. You know, we spent days sat on reception, just shadowing and listening to calls. And you'd hear about, oh, you know, there's this paramedic at a patient's home and they're trying to work out what this patient's care plan is. Or this, you know, a patient who's come in They've had an outpatient appointment and they need their new medication, but the letter hasn't arrived. And so much of it was communication. You know, patients booking an appointment to find out what their test results were, which were actually normal. And so we said, okay, well, how can we take this thing for sending advice out for antibiotics and make that generic, make that useful for anything? And so we scraped the whole NHS Choices website because there wasn't an API at the time. And then 2018 was really the year spent going, how do we take this embarrassingly simple functionality, just sending a one-way text message and make it so that within five minutes, someone who's never heard of us can hit our website, install it, integrate it with their record system and be messaging their patients. So exactly what you talk about around, they might not have the right admin privileges or their antivirus might be blocking it. I remember vividly sitting in a I say in a meeting, it makes it so much more formal than it was, but having a heated discussion over whether we should send CD-ROMs out to practices because we had some practices whose internet wasn't good enough to download like an eight meg file without it cutting out in the middle. And luckily we didn't need to in the end, but that was the level of sort of unsexy tech that we were having to deal with to make it five minutes to install and start messaging your patients. And that was basically all of 2018 that was doing that. So that by the time COVID came around, we had about half the practices in the country using us, but we hadn't yet built video or anything like that. But we built all of the infrastructure around installing and integrating with the record and setting up. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So many nuggets for like people that are looking to, you know, build their own business or do something like that. I mean, if you're thinking about building a business, I don't recommend you build something to help doctors with their finances because I think we got that covered. I think Jacob recommends you don't build something similar to Accurex. You know, that the market's getting dominated, but if you're not 
not building those, so many tips. So basically, you did a massive pivot in 2017 because what you were doing wasn't working. And then you just collected user feedback by, as you said, living in a GP practice. I think lots of GPs can relate to feeling like you live there. And you just got on the ground feedback. And then the classic... I think it's uh, Paul Graham from Y Combinator, you know, do things that don't scale. And then for those not aware, I think the teaching there is that in Airbnb at the start, they were literally running around New York, you know, going door to door to get that to take off. That does not scale. You cannot do that at scale. And that's what you did. You got on the ground and did something that didn't scale and then worked back to scale it. I mean, it definitely scales now. And also one thing that I noticed as a clinician is there's quite a lot of software products, which someone's got an amazing piece of tech like VR or something, and they're trying to fit the tech to the problem. And it doesn't actually do it. It doesn't solve a problem, you know, whereas you basically went the other way. and was like, this is the problem that GP practices have. Let's see if we can use tech to solve it. So, wow, I love that. And so that's how you got to the point where I could just come along and start the pandemic, click three buttons. And I was literally up and running there and then. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the Airbnb example, because when we pivoted, 1st of October 2017 it was, the night before we asked everyone in the team, I think there were six of us at the time, to listen to a podcast with Brian Chesky from Airbnb about how they did things at home scale and, you know, went to, you know, host homes and took the photos and spoke to them about, you know, what would it take to trust someone else to stay in their, you know, in their house and all that, building that empathy and that intuition for your users. And to your point of, you know, if you're building any company i think you know that's what's really helped us is building that intuition and empathy it's not necessarily the same as building the feature requests we love feature requests and we do build lots of them but we always like to dig a level deeper first and so good example is early on in covid we got a feature request quite a lot for higher resolution video calls and when we dug into it it was people wanted to look at moles and rashes and the solution wasn't a higher resolution video it was being able to send in photos and so a lot of what we try and do is build intuition so that you know before covid all our messaging was one way and when practices you know when we spoke about patients being able to respond we were told if accurate does that we're going to stop using accurate because of you know concerns around inbound and how will it be managed and so we had to work out okay well we know that there's got to be a better way than patients having to you know call up wait in a queue and then have a conversation via reception with us oh can you pass on this message but we had to go and build a way that practices could feel in control and not you know feel overwhelmed by inbound from patients but yeah definitely big believers in you know spending a lot of time with users yeah definitely i think it's just kind of surprising that more companies don't do that but yeah it's great that you i think it shows that you do that So we're talking about GPs a lot, but I think you also are working with some hospitals as well. Can hospital doctors just install a toolbar and start texting their patients? Because that would be awesome. So they can start using us immediately and go to web.accurix.com and do that. Actually not using a toolbar, it's used in the web browser, works a bit differently because of the EPR systems that hospital use. But if I take a step back, what, you know, what our vision is, we're trying to get to a point where everyone who's involved in the patient's care can communicate with each other. So we see healthcare as a communication industry when we go and look at the front line and it's, you ask people what they did today and it's, they had to, you know, make a referral or get a second opinion or coordinate someone's discharge from hospital or get some information to a patient or collect some information from a patient. That's where so much of the value is being added because healthcare is so much more multidisciplinary and 
sort of multi-organizational now than it was 50 years ago where healthcare was knowledge industry where you saw a doctor and they told you what to do to get to that vision where everyone involved in patients can communicate we need everyone involved in patients care on our platform and so we're trying to get much more adoption in not just secondary care, but you know, secondary care is key, but also at community and in community pharmacies and in care homes and MSK Pride and all these other settings that are involved in a patient's care. But yeah, Accurix Web is available sort of today for free for hospital users to go on and start using. You can use your NHS single sign-on and pull the patient details from the spine. And we've got quite a lot of exciting developments coming out there in the new year as well. Yeah, I love it. I'm interested to definitely talk about how you see the future and where the future is going. But you mentioned feature requests. So I want to get some feature requests in, please, if that's all right. Yeah, go so, for it. So I think like as a GP myself, the two sort of challenges that I'm working on right now, one of them you mentioned is that the team used to be basically GPs. And now we have a multidisciplinary team, pharmacists, physios, you know, mental health practitioners. And it's amazing. And it's a massive progress step forward, in my opinion. But the challenge now is that I need to get the right patient to see the right clinician in the right time frame. Because if I've got all these extra staff and they still come to see the GP as the first point of call and then get filtered off to see the pharmacist, et cetera, that is a waste of an appointment. You've basically done two appointments when you ought to do one. The patient's going to wait longer and it's just not good. And so, you know, really what I'm skirting around here is triaging, you know, getting the patient to see the right clinician in the right time frame. So where do you see that going? Because there's a lot of buzz around AI at the moment, and I'm sure you've had a play with chat GPT-3, that amazing chatbot that's come out. But where do you think the future is in triage? What's AcuRx working on? And is AI going to replace me in the future? So we've already got practices triaging really well. Using us, there's also practices doing this really well, not using us. So I don't, it's so much of it is about the implementation and the change management. And what I mean by doing this really well is all inbound sort of undifferentiated demand comes into one list, one queue, one hopper, whether that's patients walking in, whether that's patients calling up, whether that's patients going online, putting your most experienced doctors on triage. You know, there's a real tendency for okay triage is this thing we didn't do before so let's you know try and not disturb our you know very limited gp capacity we'll get admin to triage but actually then everything just ends up getting booked into you know gp so putting your most senior gps and the practice who've done it really well have then paired them for example with the trainee or sometimes even with admin so that they're also learning and can pick up some of the tasks as well that come out of the triage work where triage is like this interesting thing because the practices who doing it really well they're not trying to diagnose when it comes in they're just trying to work out what's the most likely or most appropriate place for this patient to be seen if this patient's got abdo pain or it's a two-year-old that the parents worried about it doesn't matter what other information they've written unless there's some you know clear red flags you need them to go to any or get blue lights straight away you need them to be seen so there's no point calling them up get them in and so this practice that that run like this single queue of work clinician-led triage you know, really good learning around, you know, coming together, you know, the best I've seen is once a day and actually taking the examples of, oh, actually, we had this patient who went here and that wasn't the most appropriate, they should have gone there and having a really good learning loop around it. And then, you know, where it's done well, patients are quite happy being told often by message or actually, you know, don't worry about this for now, if it's still a problem, get in touch, because they know when they get in touch, they'll actually get dealt with very quickly. You know, these are practices you try and 
get through all of that work on the day. A lot of it is cleared through messaging. A lot of the data capture is done asynchronously. So, you know, if a patient gets in touch and I've got a sore throat, I think I've got UTI or something like that, they get sent a set of questions. They get sent a flurry for that and that they can fill in. And based on that, you know, they say they've got a rash, for example, they ask, ask for a photo and they can be dealt with without needing to pick up the phone or bring them in or anything just through messaging. So there are practices doing it really well with triage, but it takes a lot of sort of change management leadership to do well. In terms of the AI part, my personal view is I think we are so far from that being like technologically possible. And there's just such lower hanging fruit in like healthcare and in medicine. Like the whole system is, you know, as an economy, we're spending huge amounts of money, like selecting and then training up very, you know, skilled and talented people, you know, not just doctors, but doctors and nurses and paramedics and physios and all these different stuff, and then just getting them to do admin. And so there's so much more opportunity, first of all, in like automating the admin away. And the analogy we use is, you know, if you compare to driverless cars, we're not trying to build a driverless car, we're trying to build the lane departure warning and the cruise control and the parking sensors and the sat nav and all the stuff around you that makes it much, much easier and safer to drive. But where at the end of the day, a human, a clinician is actually making the decision. Now, when it comes to like carrying out that decision, let's make it one or two clicks. So, you know, if you're trying to decide, oh, this patient with high blood pressure, do you need to titrate their medication? Okay, we're not going to make that decision. But wouldn't it be great if enacting change was one or two clicks instead of you know, having to jump through lots of hoops? We're actually, so the medication change is probably one of the easier ones to make. So that'd be, I guess, our overall view on it is let's automate away the sort of the more administrative things, but keep clinicians in the driving seat. Definitely. And I think that's the thing that I'm aiming for, isn't it? I just need to get the right clinician, see the right patient in the right time frame, and cutting out that admin work. And yeah, I don't know. It just feels like every pitch deck at the moment has AI, NFT, and chat <laughs> GPT. And so you're obviously not trying to raise any money at the moment. Otherwise, you'd have those buzzwords <laughs> in, in your pitch deck. But yeah, I think, you know, there's, as you say, such low hanging fruit that can be picked. And if you can improve your workflow in the way that you've described, it can really transform your practice. And, you know, the game has massively shifted. Like I said, before COVID, hadn't really done any video consults, hadn't texted patients a list of questions to gather data. And now, you know, we use that every day in my practice to get data, collect the data as efficiently as possible. You shouldn't have to be on the phone for hours trying to get the data if the patient can get the data. And a lot of people say, oh, what about those patients that can't use the technology? And a lot of my patients are really old. And I think actually people miss, you know, underestimate old people. A lot of my patients are really tech savvy. But if you're not, my phones are now more available because yep. a lot of people are using technology like AccuRx and that takes a load off the phones. And so for those that cannot use the technology, things are improving as well. So that's why I like it. And really excited that you're coming on our GP partnership course in the new year to outline you know, how people can do more with their workflow. Because I think there's, as you say, massive gains to be made there without any AI in sight. Okay, so here's my build request. So that's how to get the patients to see the right clinician first time and not, you know, the third time, which is better for yeah. everyone. But the other thing that I want to improve is communicating with patients. You already mentioned this, that somebody does, we do some blood tests, the blood tests come back normal. I, that's sitting on my computer system and I've marked it as normal, no further action required. 
And yet the only way for patients to get that information or not the only way, because they can look it up on some online systems now, yeah. but it's, cl it's clunky, right? Is to phone up the practice and say, how are my bloods? And then they speak to the reception who isn't a clinician and can't give any more information other than what's already written there. It just strikes me as a massive waste of time. So my feature request is this. When basically what I'm saying is action triggered text messaging. So when I, as a clinician, mark those bloods as normal, no further action, at the moment, I have to go into AccuArc, send a message, and it's super easy. It's pre-populated. It just says normal results, no further action. But imagine if I didn't have to do that step and it could link directly in. And as soon as the clinician marks it okay in the system, AccuArc or whatever could send the text to the patient without me having to do it myself. Can you build it? And if not, why not, please? So we absolutely want to. It's just like with all the things we build, it just becomes a priorities question and challenge. But what you talk about is exactly, you know, when we talk about automating away the admin and keeping a clinician in the driving seat, that's exactly the sort of thing we want to automate away. And to sort of giving our users the ability to build rules that they can do that through. So that's one example. But you might give them another one for you know how type 2 diabetes is managed and how high blood pressure is managed. And, you know, okay, patients with this asthma control score, we're going to, you know, get them to book in and patients who haven't had an hba1c for this long we're going to get them to book a blood test and you know all of that can be automated in terms of when i think it just comes into you know it's definitely a thing we want to do it's then when you start to look at the other things we're trying to do it gets harder to work out the priority but we'll get there no i'm just you know just putting yeah. in my requests okay yeah. my next request is so medics money basically someone's uh, you said do things that don't scale the start of medics money it was just me and ed and our friend, yeah. helping our friends and someone said you know i need to find a good accountant we would say okay well what are you okay i'm a gp partner okay what are you looking for i'm looking for my partnership accounts okay well this is the best accountant for you and we did it manually and, yeah. and that was fine and then we built an algorithm which got smarter and smarter over time using user feedback and now we've matched over ten thousand doctors to a new advisor that matches their specific requirements okay and so when people go through that workflow they go from step one and then we send them a text saying you know your advisor will be in touch and then we send them another yep. text saying how's things going so this is all automated okay but the same thing happens with my patients if my patient has type 2 diabetes okay every single year they go through the same workflow they get the same blood tests they get the same review with the diabetes nurse so could we automate some elements of that and i apologize for the grinding noise in the background i'm having a bit of building work done don't worry i can't hear it so yeah automating recall absolutely i think it sort of it has to happen we're starting to do it with self-book there's still a manual stage in terms of pulling the list of patients then sending it out but in terms of patients even just being able to book in for themselves that's happening and sort of you know the more we can automate the better for covid vaccines are actually able to automate a bit bit more of it the problem with making things very automated is you lose some of the flexibility so if we build in you know rules around for example diabetes and the eight process of care and who's had those it starts to become trickier for practices who want to flex up their process and say well actually in our area we pull our foot checks in the pcn and they're done in this way and in our area are actually patients who have diabetes and hypertension we do these joined up long-term condition reviews and things like that and so that's always the big challenge we have and we have this challenge with covid vaccine booking is this trade-off between making things really sort of automated but then also giving that flexibility so we'll get there self-book is our first more generic approach to that what we built an AccuBook for COVID vaccines was very specific to COVID vaccines you know first dose second dose is it Oxford is AstraZeneca is it Pfizer whereas self-book is much more 
here's a list of patients who I need to book an appointment of a specific slot type, which you could use for Cosmeos, or you could use for diabetes reviews, or you could use for asthma reviews, you could use for, you know, any appointment you want to use it for. But in terms of then automating that, again, it has to happen because, you know, when you look at the data, we've, as a society, we've spent 50 years working out what's the best way to manage type 2 diabetes, and it's those nine processes of care, eight done by GP practice, and only 50% of patients get all of them. So, and you know, they're not medically complex, they're administrative tasks to make sure that this thing has been scheduled or this blood test has been done. And if it hasn't been done, chase it up. So yeah, there's a lot to do there. Yeah, definitely. And like inside our email software, which we use to communicate with Medics Money subscribers, you know, we build our own workflow. So, so if this happens, do this. So like you could maybe, I don't know, maybe you could build like a workflow. Who knows? Yep. I mean, the next logical question is everyone wants to know, you know, AkiRx just works so nicely. The software runs really smoothly. The incumbent electronic patient records in my opinion, not Jacobs, but in, in my opinion, at least could be a lot better. So when's AKRX building an electronic patient record of their own, and then we can finally get cooking on gas? <laughs> I'm afraid to say that we are very laser focused on communication. So that's where we see the biggest unmet need, right? That, you know, the whole health system runs on communication. And right now, the gold standard of that communication is like pictures of letters that have been scanned in. And imagine if I had to communicate with the rest of my team here by sending each other, you know, dictating letters and then sending them and getting them scanned in and then paying someone to turn the letter into sort of actionable steps and structured data, we wouldn't get anything done. But like that as a health system, that's how things work. And, you know, all this energy and attention and money has gone into integrated care, which I see as, you know, frontline staff in multiple organizations working as one team essentially like you can't work as one team if you have to communicate via letters and switchboards it's not it's just not possible so that's where we sort see the biggest unmet need and that's what we're very focused on does that mean that some things that you do in the ehr today will like gradually move over to us hopefully and so there are practices who are doing more and more of their workflows you know how they manage i spoke about you know, the real like triage led practices, lots of them aren't even booking appointments. They're actually just managing a list of conversations and then we'll just book in appointments for the patients who actually need appointments. So things will gradually shift over, but, you know, I think we'll do what we do best if we can really focus, which is, you know, focus on communication. That's another lesson for any potential, <laughs> you know, running your own business. There's so many opportunities that come your way and you have to try to filter them out and focus well, on. Well, especially in healthcare, right? Because, you know, you walk into a hospital and you're like tripping over inefficiency and things you can solve. And like, every week we have this problem. Like, oh, there's this thing we could, there's this thing we could solve here. And if we try and solve it all, we'll solve none of it. So, you know, what do we focus on? But also being smart around what can we build that will let our users solve the most problems themselves? So when we first built you know, our SMS product, it was just for sending advice out. And then very quickly, we saw people start to use it for saying test results are normal or saying, I tried to call you, but it's from a withheld number, please pick up or saying your script is ready to collect from reception or whatever it is. And so our users will always be the biggest innovators. There are just far more of them than us. They have far more context of what is involved and what the challenges are in delivering care. We just need to give them a product that gives them the scope to innovate, that gives them the flexibility to innovate. Definitely. And I think like choosing the text message as the medium of communication is also a really great play because, you know, I love emails, but 
occasionally I don't open an email or it goes to spam. I cannot remember the last time I didn't open a text message. You know, it's just a, it's a great way to deliver. And then the way that it just pulls that all straight back into the electronic patient record, electronic health record is really great. And AccuBook basically transformed how we book our flu jabs because we used to either have a walk-in so say, right, the flu jab is a Saturday, 11 o'clock, turn up. And the queue was insane. It was freezing cold. And we had like tons of patients queuing outside the door. Not a good look. Or the other way was uh, we would say, yeah, phone us up and book in. Our phone lines are totally slammed. People couldn't get through on the phone. And guess what? They went elsewhere. They went to the pharmacy. You know, we want to immunize our patients against the flu and other things like COVID. And so instead of doing letters and a queue, we use AccuBook and you just send out the patients a text message saying, book yourself a slot here. They open it up. It shows them when the available slots are. They book themselves in and that's it. Jobs are good. And this year we managed to book 70% of our patients that way. And it's just totally transformed it. We've saved letters. We've saved them phoning up and we've improved our vaccination rates because they're no longer going elsewhere because it's so easy to do with us. And all that is, I mean, it's not all of that, but to my mind, all it is a text message and it works so beautifully. Obviously there's some pretty clever tech on the back end powering it, but but it's nice to hear that example. I think the thing that excites me most, because the improved experience for patients, the improved experience for staff, bring up reception phone lines, that stuff is all, you know, super important. And it's the sort of more obvious benefits. I'm hoping what we'll start to see is that actual uptake rates will go up and not just uptake at the GP practice, but did this patient get a flu jab or not that season? Because when you make it easier and you remove friction, people are more likely to do a thing. I didn't get a flu jab last year because I was eligible for one. I called three times and couldn't manage to find a time that worked and sort of just gave up. This year, took a few se- you know, self-booked, took a few seconds to book, booked it in, got it. And so that's my hope is that by making these things easier, we actually make the right care, the things that are meant to happen more reliably and more regularly. And on your point around you know, the concerns of digital exclusion. So 100% agree, you know, digital both keeps the phone lines free, but also a lot of, you know, this myth that older people don't use technology just isn't true. You know, if I think to, of cohort one and two of the COVID vaccine, you know, people in care homes, people over 85, over 80% of them were booking in themselves. Now, a lot of the time they had family members helping, but, you know, these are the last people who, you know, a lot of people expected would be using textbook in. But what's often forgotten is that requiring patients to call up at 8am or to be available for a phone call at any time, that's incredibly excluding, right? That excludes anyone who can't take a phone call at a random time of the day. I can't take one right now. You can't take one right now. People who are teachers can't. People who work in prisons can't. People who work in the service industry. People who work in hospitality. And loads of people can't just take phone calls at any random time of the day. And they are currently excluded from you know, how a lot of care is delivered. So I think inclusion isn't about you know this one method is going to work for everyone. It's about having an array and then practice and patients are very good I should be more specific like staff and patients are very good at knowing what is most appropriate for this patient and this current need as well because it's not that you know it's not that I always want a face-to-face or I always want to deal via messaging or I always want phone calls it depends what the problem is right can you just say that last sentence really loudly at NHS England because you know they're constantly telling us what we should do with our patients how many percent we should see face-to-face and how many should be seen on the phone but you're exactly right 
that face-to-face, I love face-to-face. We still do loads of face-to-face, but sometimes a telephone is fine. Sometimes a text message is fine. We need to tailor the method of communication to the patient. And just on your point about digital exclusion, yeah, we've kind of found the opposite because our phone lines are now less busy, which means that those that cannot use the tech get to use the phone and those that can in you know use the tech so for our asthma reviews you've got your asthma control questionnaire flurry thing yeah. and we send that out to people and you know a good amount of them respond but we've had people that we've never been able to reach previously to say you know come down for your asthma check and they never reply because they're probably busy working and their asthma's fine we send them that flurry and they text back say yeah i've used no inhalers i've had no exacerbations my asthma is absolutely fine we text them back saying happy days you know, carry on. And so it's like not, it's the opposite of digital exclusion. Those people we haven't been able to reach because like maybe they were teachers or working in the middle of the day and they can't come down and their asthma is fine, but they have no way to let us know that their asthma was fine without phoning up and booking an appointment. Now they just reply to the flurry and jobs are good. And what that means is that those whose asthma is not fine now get a longer appointment with our asthma specialist nurses because asthma specialist nurses are seeing who they need to see and not everybody when some like I have asthma and my asthma is absolutely fine and you know I don't have any problems so I don't need a face-to-face review every year my daughter's asthma is unfortunately not so good and she does need it and she gets it and I just think it's the opposite of digital exclusion in my experience yeah I mean it's you know people have been talking for years or decades about personalized medicine and I guess that can be lots of different things but you know rather than saying right everyone is going to get you know, this type of appointment of this length, regardless of severity and, you know, their other comorbidities and everything else, you know, it gives the opportunity to flex, you know, flex things, divert the sort of the resource, the capacity that to the people who need it most and at a time that need it most as well, rather than just, you know, once a year, wouldn't it be great if patients with asthma could you know, get in touch more readily when things are problematic than just a more arbitrary day. Yeah, definitely. This is so great. It's such a privilege to be able to speak to someone who is at the forefront of this. And I'm really excited about being a GP partner at the moment, which puts me in a bit of a minority because there <laughs> is a revolution going on. The system is changing and things are technology is allowing us to improve the care we offer to our patients, which is great. But I want to get the benefit of your wisdom. It's 2032, 10 years time. You know, what does contacting your practice look like what's the future here in 10 years time what's it going to look like in your opinion so i'm excited about probably three big trends 10 years is really hard to think because we haven't been around for 10 years but even if i think you know know, at least you know five years out the first would be so much more is happening asynchronously and what i've been by asynchronously is like through messaging and the reason why this is really important is because the old model of you know every patient has you know a mean of five ten minute appointments a year and obviously that you know going up with time just isn't sustainable and you have in health economics you have this cost disease in healthcare where you don't have productivity gains because it's a very like one-to-one contact industry unlike other sectors you know unlike finance or accounting or travel agents or agriculture all these other sectors where over the past hundred years we've had huge productivity gains um push up wages in the economy doesn't happen in healthcare also doesn't happen in places like education and creative arts and things like that and so you get this cost disease where healthcare costs will always 
outstrip inflation and go up faster than other sectors. And it's happening in the UK, it's happening in every other health system, no matter how well resourced it is. And so what working more asynchronously lets you do is start to find some of those productivity gains. And so to take a practical example, a patient who gets in touch because they're worried about a rash on their skin and then gets asked to send a photo of it and then replies and then gets sent a prescription for some topical steroid cream because that can be dealt with in one and a half minutes of staff time instead of 10 minutes of staff time from the GP plus some time from reception for booking it in maybe some time from the GP of trying to call them up in the first place and then not getting through and all of that that's where you start to get productivity gains and especially if you can start to automate more of the data capture so still keep the clinician making the decision making but automate the data capture like those examples I mentioned around you know the high volume stuff the the UTIs the sore throats tired all the time all these sorts of things that you know lower back pain let's automate the, the data capture and which you can do when you're communicating asynchronously. It's a lot easier to give continuity of care when it's asynchronous because, you know, if Tommy's not in today and this is an urgent, well, we can just tag this for him and he can pick it up tomorrow. And so that patient gets continuity. So that, that's, I'd say, the first trend is more and more happening asynchronously. The second is less about necessarily communicating just with the patient, but more about communicating across the system. So we've worked really hard to make it two clicks to message a patient. Wherever you're doing, wherever workflow you're in, you click the message button, you type a message and you hit send and that message goes to the patient. We want to make it just as easy to communicate with secondary care, with a patient's district nurse so that when they're going in tomorrow, they can do some extra observations to communicate with the community pharmacy or a patient's care home and really improve that system-wide communication so that if we're talking about you know 10 years time, referrals aren't even really a thing and actually that you know, if the patient messages in and, you know, they've got a mole they're worried about, you can bring dermatology into that conversation. And it's less sort of just bouncing patients around the system, but, you know, bringing in the expertise where you need it. So that, you know, system-wide communication would be the second. The third one for me is exactly what you were speaking about around how we let people build rules, or I sometimes call it like recipes of care that automate very standardized pathways, whether that is, you know, patients on Levothyroxine needing their TSH, or whether that is patients with type 2 diabetes getting their foot checks and eye checks and cholesterol and BMI, or whether that is titrating blood pressure medication, or whatever it is. These, you know, where we've got decades and decades of medical research telling us what the right thing is to do, that we make it really easy by automating a lot of that and let our users build a lot of those automations as well. Those are the three for me asynchronous, system wide, and that, you know, those recipes, that automation. Yeah, I love it. And on the third one, I think you've got a big challenge there because you've got to make it easy for the patients to use. You've got two users to satisfy, basically. You've got to make it easy for the patients to use. And if tech is easy and frictionless to use, people will use it. If it's difficult and not frictionless, they won't. So, But also, you've got to make it easy for clinicians to build the workflow as well. So, yeah, I take a point that I might have been a bit... In my mind, that's coming like in the next yeah. six months, but maybe... <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> We're going to make it easy, but also these are for like clinicians with zero spare time. So, you know, the last thing I think most GPs want to do at the end of the day at the moment, after that, you know, they've just been back to back, you know, on consultations or triaging is go, right, okay, now I'm going to go and build a pathway for you know, managing you know, patients with this presentation. So that's a big challenge we have is, you know, actually at the moment, a lot of energy is going into the things we've already built. How do we make sure 
people are discovering them and using them and getting the most out of them like you mentioned some of our flories but like lots of practices aren't using a lot of them even though they have access to them because they don't either they don't know they're there or they're not sort of at the point where they need them it's not the most obvious thing so how can we you know prompt users that actually this might be helpful now for a particular presentation or whatever it is yeah, I like it. And I think the reason why I like your software as well is really flexible. So one thing we've been trying to work on, as I said, is communication with our patients. So we've got Facebook page set up. I was really skeptical. I don't really like social media myself. It's been amazing for communication mm. with patients and showing that, you know, we're all human beings. Let's try and work together with the limited resources that we have. But the other thing is our Google reviews weren't the best. And so I just built a little automated text message, which links directly to leave a review. And clinicians can just send that out, as you said, with two clicks. And so now we went from a 2.4 on Google reviews to I think we're about a 4.6 at the moment and over 85 reviews last time I checked. And that's just something that I was able to build myself inside AccuRx and make it really easy for my colleagues to send but I think you're right. Maybe I'm not that normal in doing that. It wasn't really difficult, but you know, I think you know, there is a challenge of uh, getting people to adopt these technologies. And that's a big problem, which, yeah, hopefully you're going to solve. I mean, but that's amazing and well done. And yeah, that flexibility is exactly, you know, our, as I said, our users are our best innovators and they will come up with all these uses we haven't thought of like that one, which is great because, you know, practices generally hear when things go wrong. They don't hear, you know, the 99% of the time when actually patients are really satisfied with their care and you know, get a good experience as well. Yeah, it's been amazing for staff morale. You know, they see all of this amazing, as you say, normally we hear the bad side, but all of these amazing positive reviews, you know, on Google. And it's so easy to collect them. Another thing that I do is if I inject a patient's joint, you know, two weeks later, I want to know how they're doing, you know, because yep. this is natural. I care and I want it to work. And in the past, I just couldn't justify calling them and stuff. So if it doesn't work, let me know. I mean, that is rubbish. Now what I do, as soon as I inject them, I set a scheduled message for two weeks time. And it just says, how's your shoulder? Hope it's okay. If not, text me back. And most of the time they just text back going, it's amazing. Thanks very much. And then very rarely, if I'm injecting, there's sometimes they say, no, it doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, cool. Come back. And it's just like a super efficient way to do things. And probably not what you envisage scheduled messaging being used for. But I want it to get expanded to get that workflow going so that when they got diabetes, they just go through the workflow. Bam. So I'm excited about that and I'm looking forward to it getting built. Jacob, that was so useful. Now, where is the best place? So you're coming on our course for new partners or all partners and going to teach them hacks on how to improve their workflow. That's great, but not everyone can come on our course. So where is the best place for people to learn about how to use AccuRx and things like that? So we have a YouTube channel and there's a bunch of videos on there. But in terms of getting those most innovative examples, so, you know, like the steroid injection follow-up you just mentioned, the best is from other users. And so we've got quite an active Facebook group and there's often discussions in there around how users are, you know, getting the most out of you know, communication, using it to be more proactive like that example, because, you know, for that example, there'll be a bunch of other practices not doing that, but doing different things. I went to one recently doing exactly the same when they prescribe new SSRIs, checking in on a patient, which you know, as a patient, when I saw that, I was like, I want to move to this practice. This is like so proactive. What an amazing patient experience. But yeah, so I'd recommend the Facebook group. YouTube channel. There's a lot more we want to do over the coming years. I mentioned this like 
helping people get the most out of our product is a big focus at the moment and for the next six months at least so there's a lot more we'll be doing as well awesome i've dropped those links on the youtube comments and in the podcast as well so that's really great thanks so much for your time i know you're busy so i'll let you get on but thank you so much for taking the time to come on the medex money podcast and i'm super excited to have you and your team teach on our course in the new year thanks so much for having me tommy really enjoyed the chat and yeah see you soon